One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome to Crimeland. My name is Julie J, and this week I'm joined by the very handsome Fred Cook. How many times do we have to do that intro? <laughs> and we are talking about John Gotti. I know one thing about John Gotti. One thing that he. Uh, de- Sorry, with no time. Okay. <laughs> no, two things. He was a gangster. Joking. He was a gangster in New York, and uh, the Fund of Criminals have a song about him, and it's called "The King of New York." No, I didn't know that. Yeah, there you go. Huey and the Boys. I just thought Huey was a one-hit wonder. You mean to tell me they have more than one song? Yeah, they had that. Uh, they obviously had Scooby Snacks, and they had the. Uh, I think they did Easy Lax on the morning. They might have done a cover of that as well. But they only really have the old Scooby Snacks, don't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, I know. It's funny because before I researched this one, the only thing I really knew about John Gotti was um, that John Travolta had done a film about him. And do you want to take a guess what the title of the film was? Very misleading. Gotti. This is the word. It's the Grease. Greece is a It makes sense now. This car's systematic, high dramatic. He was a gangster who really wanted to be a dancer. That was kind of the vibe of that film. And you know what? It's a funny one because it was out a couple of years ago, Gotti. Gotti had very distinctive hair. So you might have seen the visual of John Tarota with the hair in John Gotti mode. But it must have just been a straight TV situation because... I definitely didn't hear about it being in the cinemas or anything. And it had the tagline, he showed the world who's boss. Yeah. Bit of, bit of glorifying there. So us crimelanders, we tend not to glorify the crime. No, absolutely. Uh, like, could you imagine if you'd lost someone through, through John Gotti's work and then you're walking home and you see the poster, he showed people who's boss. I know. Yeah. But then you see, look, I can't, my hands here aren't clean because I'm the one talking about him. You know what I mean? So, like, I guess I can't be given out either, but we try not to glorify the crime on Crimeland. Why the Godfather movie is so good? Because, because, 
unfortunately, the mafia were so terrible. Yeah, I know. If the Godfather movies were based around people saying, if you're not careful, I'll see you in court. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't have been the same exactly, franchise. Yeah. Maybe Aaron Brockovich. A lot of people getting fines. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. You're right. That's a really good point. Will I will I dive straight in, Fred Cook? Yes, please do. Okay. Born on the 27th of October 1940 in New York City. Gotti's mother, Fanny, and father, <laughs> stop it, and father, J. Joseph Gotti, were born Italian immigrants. Gotti was, John was the fifth of 13 kids. I mean, hello, like clearly Catholics. Uh, in a family whose only income came from their father's unpredictable work as a day labourer. Gotti and his family moved around a lot before settling in East New York, which was an area known for a lot of gang activity and a lot of crime. By the age age of 12, it became it was no, became no surprise when um, it, sorry, I should say that again. By the age of 12, Gotti was running as an errand boy for an underground club in the neighbourhood run by Carmine Vegito. Um, Fatisha was a captain in the local Gambino family, the largest crime family in New York City. Through his activities with the club, Gotti met Anilo de Dugloce, who became his lifelong mentor. I should preface this by saying I have really bad pronunciation when it comes to Italian names. So my apologies to anyone with any Italian heritage who has to listen to this, or just even people who know how to pronounce Italian words. I apologize. Gotti soon became the leader of a gang called the Fulton Rockway Boys, a group known for their frequent robberies and carjackings. When he was 14, Gotti's toes were crushed as he tried to steal a cement mixer. The moral of the story, Fred, is don't steal cement mixers. Am I right? Oh, completely, yes. Yeah. the worst thing you can do. I mean, they're heavy to steal. Yeah. And you'd need, a, you'd need some camaraderie to help you steal a cement mixer. He, he probably tried to do it on his own, thinking he was the big boy. <laughs> so what you're saying, I'm saying don't steal cement mixers, but what Fred is saying is steal them with your mates. Yeah. Uh, tell me, have you ever stolen anything? Other than my heart. Hello. Uh, uh, what have I stolen? I stole. Actually, I can't think. I, do you know, uh, when I was a child, my uncle had a shop in Leitrim, Carrick and Shannon. And so it was full of 10p bars and chomps and stuff. So, and my, do you know, this sounds bad, but uh, my uncle, when he was, do you know, on a Sunday morning or Monday morning when he was out the night before, he'd still have the loose change that had fallen over the bed. Uh, beside his bed and I'd walk in and I, I might steal I think the most I ever stole was £3.50 which in the which in the late 80s was quite a lot of money and uh, you could I just, buy a gaff for that did you put a deposit <laughs> exactly for a house down on that and, and let's remember this was Leitrim so I ended up buying an estate wow okay yeah. that makes so much sense because I did wonder how you came to own the housing estate yeah. okay uh so, look, the accident gave the mobster to be his trademark gate and earned him another instant on his list, list of petty crimes. He was a bully, real discipline problems. So, again, came as no shock to anyone when he dropped out of high school at 16. And by the age of 18, he was well known to the local police. Between 57 and 1961, Gotti pursued a life of crime on a full-time basis. So like you and the comedy, Fred, he went from, to, you know, the comedy for you was a hobby, then it became yeah. a full-time career. So Gotti had the, the same... Thing. I was, I was yeah. offered the money. I just wanted to do seven minutes. 
<laughs> I was, and then, but then this guy come up and goes, "Hey, you want to make some money?" And I'm like, "Ah, oh, no, no, no. I just want to do seven minutes." And he goes, "Come on, you got forty euro for an hour and a half." Uh, yeah, brilliant. I'm in. So I, you were, and you never looked back. So Gotti had the same journey, only for him it was crime. His arrest record included street fighting, public intoxication, and car theft. By his twenty-first birthday, he had been arrested five times, but hadn't spent much time in jail at that stage. In 1962, he got married to 17-year-old Victoria de Grigio. At the time of their marriage, the Grigio had already given birth to their first child, Angela, and was pregnant with her second. In the early years of their marriage, the couple had a really tempestuous relationship. They fought a lot and they separated numerous times. Briefly, he kind of tried normal jobs as well, Gotti. So he worked in a factory. He was a truck driver. But of course, he kept going back to the crime because that was all he knew. And ultimately, let's face it, you can make more money in crime. So that's why he kept going back to the crime. His crime-free life uh, was very brief. So by 1966, he had actually been jailed twice. And then he and his family moved to Queens. And that is when he became a real player in the Gambino crew. So in 1968, he served his first major sentence when the FBI charged him and two accomplices with committing cargo thefts near the airport. All three men were convicted of hijacking and sentenced to three years. When he got out of prison... Did he do his three years? He did do his three years. But while he was in prison, the Feticho crew moved from East New York to a storefront near Gotti's home in Queens. And they set up this kind of, well, obviously it was a cover. It was a front, this non-profit organization called Bergen Hunt and Fish Club. But really, of course, it was where the group's headquarters were based. After he got out of prison in 1971, Gotti was designated as the temporary leader of Fatico's gang while the captain faced loan sharking charges. In May of 1973, while Gotti was captain of Fatico's crew, he committed his first murder. So he shot dead Jimmy McBratney, who was a rival gang member who had kidnapped and murdered a member of the Gambino family. Gotti was sent to uh, get vengeance for this murder, but he was less than discreet so there were loads of witnesses it came as absolutely no surprise when he was arrested in 1974 after several bystanders identified him in a photo lineup at his trial three years later Gotti cut a deal with the court in return for a plea of attempted manslaughter he only served four years in prison which is really not a lot for a murder in broad daylight you're extra than Dean McCargo yeah, virtually the same. So yeah. look, I mean, they cut the plea deal with him and he was then, uh, so he was then sentenced to four years. In 1976, the head of the Gambino family died. He had chosen to leave his brother-in-law, Paul Castellano, in charge of the family. So this was kind of a new chapter for Gotti and his crime career. In a gesture of goodwill, Castellano allowed Della Croce to remain the family's kind of a vice president or like the next in line. So like there's the boss, Castellano became the boss and Della Croce, he let him kind of um, assume like the vice president role. He was, you know, he was the next in line. 
and he gave him control over 10 of the 23 crews. When Gotti was got out of prison in 77, Dede Croce promoted the mobster to captain of the Bergen crew. So Dede Croce was very much like a mentor yeah. to John Gotti and he really looked up at him, to him and they had this kind of father and son relationship. They were very, very close. In 1980, personal tragedy hit the Gotti family when their neighbour, John Favara, hit 12-year-old Frank Gotti with his car. Uh, the poor little boy died. The death was ruled accidental, but witness, witnesses say his mother, DeGregio, later attacked Vivara with a metal baseball bat, sending him to the hospital. Of course, Shakara Favara chose not to press charges. According to witnesses, Favara had to put up with four months of death threats until July of that year. He was clubbed over the head and shoved into a van. He was never found again. So he was presumed dead, presumed murdered. His body was never recovered. Gotti and his family were conveniently on holidays in Florida at the time of their neighbor's disappearance and always denied any knowledge of his whereabouts. But I think we can all put two and two together there. Crimelanders, when you're done listening to Crimeland, you might want to head over to the Happy Broadcast, which is Headstuff's latest podcast. It is a deadly little podcast where they talk all things happy. So I think it's definitely one that you need to listen to after you've listened to a few Crimelands because we're very much the opposite uh, end of the spectrum over here. Tired of tuning into negative news? Well, get your week off to the right start with the Happy Broadcast. Let's help you focus on the positive things happening in our world. Each episode will feature positive news, some mental health tips, and we'll hear from our happy broadcast community about what makes them happy. The podcast is hosted by me, Amy O'Dwyer, in collaboration with Mauro Gatti and his popular social channel, The Happy Broadcast. Episodes are out every Monday and you can listen and subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Let's help spread some positivity. When you're done listening to Primeland, I would massively appreciate it if you could take a couple of minutes to rate or review us on iTunes. Only if you're leaving a five-star, guys. All you one-star people, I hate to tell you this, but you're not getting vaccinated. That is officially in news just in from the HSE. So please only rate us if you've enjoyed the episode. If you didn't enjoy the episode, please just jog on. That is absolutely fine. As well as that, I hate asking this. I hate bringing up the dirty subject of money. But currently, Crimeland is relying solely on contributions from listeners. If you fancy contributing towards the production costs of Crimeland, you might want to head over to headstuffpodcast.com. The link is in the show notes and you can throw us a few quid if you fancy it. We have some extra episodes up there. I have one just up, um, which is a very sad case. Uh, it is the case of Becky Watts, which I did with my old friend, Sophie Shanley. As well, we have some other really, really interesting cases up there that I think you would enjoy. If you could support us, that would be brilliant. If not, just even a review would be great. Or tell a friend, better again. Thank you so much, Crimelanders. And now, back to the podcast. By the early 1980s, John Gotti's prominence in the family had earned him unwarranted attention from Castellano, who was like the head of the gang. He considered Gotti's 30,000 a night uh, gambling habits. So he was actually racking up debts of $30,000 a night with his gambling problem. 
he thought that was a real liability. It was just drawing attention to the mafia family that they were involved, the the mob family, I should say, that they were involved with. And he also disapproved of the Bergen captain's unpredictable behavior. Gotti's activities also caught the eye of the FBI and unbeknownst to Gotti and his, and his buddies, they had installed audio surveillance equipment in the Bergen Club in 1981. So they were taping them without their knowledge, which was a bit of a problem. Have you ever been taped without your knowledge? You Didn't you threaten that you were going to start recording <laughs> me? <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on. In 1985, the I FBI... When I, go to, when I drive to Dublin once a week, there's this little, I don't know, a little red button thing in my boot. <laughs> And it kind of marks where I don't know what was going on. It was where I was going. You know what I love? I love when, you know, when you curse me and you don't realize the baby monitor is on. So when you're telling me to feck off and the baby monitor is on, that's what I really enjoy. (laughs) Oh, you're all tough talk when you go down to the, why don't you just feck off? And then I say, what was that? Don't say anything. That's why we know our six-month-old baby isn't bitching about us because we'd hear it straight away. I know. He's like, he, I'd say he's just like, come on, surely there must be somebody in charge here. In 1985, the FBI at that stage had been taping the lads for years, so they had loads of evidence to place Scotty and Dedicroce, his mentor, under federal indictments for the old racketeering. Other associates were associates were indicted on heroin trafficking charges. The drug charges really pissed off Castellano, who punished illegal drug dealing with the penalty of death. So he was really anti the drug dealing yeah. side of things. He, do you know what it was with Castellano? He was an old school gangster. He was not into this, like, obviously it's all fast money with crime, but this was not an area that he was interested in. And he was really pissed off that his I suppose the name and his reputation the name of his crew had been sullied by this association with the drug dealing as Captain Gotti knew he would be held responsible for for the actions of the crew to smooth over the situation with Castellano Gotti asked Delacroce to speak to his boss on his behalf before an understanding could be reached poor old Delacroce actually died of cancer all goodwill between Castellano and Gotti completely disappeared when Castellano didn't attend Delacroce's funeral. So Gotti saw this as the lowest of the low and he decided to take action. So two weeks later, this is crazy. On the 16th of December, 1985, Castellano was murdered, gunned down yeah. while eating at a steakhouse in Manhattan Gotti was made boss soon after. So Delacroce had died of cancer. Castellano was murdered, gunned down, um, presumably at John Gotti's behest. And don't you know, Gotti ascended the ranks and suddenly he was the main guy. Do you like steak? You just can't can't trust anyone these days. You just can't, can you? People would shoot you for a promotion. They would. And you know what? Do you know, I would say there's a lot of comics out there, Fred, who probably, they probably shoot you if they got, oh, man. if somebody said you can, you can take over Fred's job on the Tommy show. All you have to do is gun him down while he's eating his dinner. Yeah. There'd remember, be a line around the corner. I remember we headline in the laughter lounge. I'd have to do 45 minutes and the middle slot guy would come in. He only has to do 20 minutes. He's not getting paid as much. And he'd arrive in early at eight o'clock and he'd go, Fred, you want a coffee? I mean, no way. 
I know what you want to do. You want to strike me out to get that 45. So you just can't trust anyone. You can't. By August of 1986, John Gotti had become something of a local hero and he was very well regarded in his local neighborhood. So when it came to trial, this is unbelievable. They were acquitted. They later discovered that the jury foreman fixed the verdict. So he rigged the verdict. I'm not sure. Did he bribe the other jurors? I'm not sure if he intimidated them, if he threatened them. But he said, you cannot acquit this guy. Even though there were stacks of evidence against them, he was like, you can't do it. It's just not worth your life to convict this guy. You don't know who you're messing with here. Blah, 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 blah. And they returned a not guilty verdict. So this is when he started to earn the nickname Teflon Don because ultimately charges against him just would not stick. The FBI then turned the conviction of Gotti into like, this was their mission to get this guy because they were so pissed off. They had worked for years. It probably was like The Wire. Do you remember us watching The Wire? Like recording for years and years and years. And then because of one bad juror, the foreman managed to basically crush the whole case. So they were really pissed off. After pressurizing the Gambino family's new next in line, who was called Sammy Garvano. So we had uh, John Gotti was top dog. And then the next person in line was this guy, Sammy Garvano. Now, unbelievably, and I actually remember because I did this as an episode for up to 90 back in the day, Like this, it was just insane. So this was huge. They managed to convince him to testify against Gotti, which would go against everything that this culture would have stood for, which was that, okay, the number one rule is you do not talk to police and you don't rat on one another. This guy completely threw all of that out the window. Would Would he have cleared his own name? By doing that. Well, of course, it was to save his own skin. But at the same time, like this was hugely controversial because this was like just unheard of. So this guy who had his own issues with John Gotti testified against him. But I mean, obviously would have been out like he would have been excommunicated from that world immediately. He openly testified on the stand against John Gotti. And because of that testimony, John Gotti was finally convicted of murder and racketeering in 1992. It was estimated that while John Gotti acted as boss, the Gambino family made more than $500 million in revenue from illegal activities such as drugs, gambling, extortion and stock fraud. So huge money, especially when we're talking 1992, like $500 million is just mental money. You couldn't buy a house with it it now. But my God, back in 92. You couldn't. You'd probably get maybe a three-bedroom semi-detached yeah, exactly. for that now in yeah. Carrick and Shannon. Shout out to Carrick and Shannon. We love Carrick and Shannon. As a repeat offender, Gotti was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole and sent to prison in Illinois. According to federal prosecutors, after his imprisonment, he appointed his eldest son, John Jr. Gotti, as the acting boss of the Gambino family. In 1999, his son pled guilty to racketeering and was sent to six years in prison. John Gotti remained in jail until 2002 when he died on the 10th of June from complications with head and neck cancer. And that is the story of John Gotti. Is his son still alive? Yeah. 
The sun is yeah, still and, alive. And I wonder, I'm going to look up now. I wonder, is he, let's have a look at John Jr. Gotti, what he's up to. So an interesting story, yeah, Fred. absolutely. Well, it's funny because it's, it's a rare example when people don't, you know, you say people who live by the sword die by the sword. But he just happened, he lived by the sword and, and struggled with it, but died of something else completely like. John Jr. Um, was charged with racketeering again in 2008 and also on murder conspiracy charges. Um, all these charges were brought in Florida. He did maintain then afterwards that they actually didn't pursue, they didn't bring these charges yeah. um, forward. So he was initially charged, but they didn't actually bring um, him forward to trial on these charges. And he has since said that he has left the Gambino family. In a 2015 interview with the New York Daily News, John Gotti Jr. denied claims that he was an informant because this was one of the accus- accusations that have been levied against him, that he um, was an informant to the cops claiming yeah. that he did give the FBI information but that it was false information and no indictments resulted from the information he gave a- he gave um, agents in November 2013 he was stabbed while breaking up a fight in New York um, but he survived so he is still alive and does claim uh, that he has left this life behind him and he was heavily involved as well in the John Travolta film Oh, wow. That's amazing. There's, well, I suppose they have to, with something like that, you nearly have to have the family on board, wouldn't you? Did he come up? He must have come up with the bit. Was it love at first sight? <laughs> tell me more, tell me more. He'd probably come up with that bit. Was it love? Did, oh, Do I you love you? Put up it. Did he put up a fight? That's the bit he came up with. That would, that would be, that has John Gosney Jr. Exactly. written all over it. Fred, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm quite sad that you made me put this through Lisa Richards, though. Well, for anyone listening, Lisa Richards is my agent. Lisa Cook and Richard Cook. And they're listening right now. <laughs> We're big shots. Okay, Fred, I love you so much, Pet. I'll see you in about two okay. minutes. Is love the kettle on? No, I'll get it on right now. I love you. Bye. Bye, Bob. I love you. Bye. Thanks, Crimelanders. <laughs> this show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.